Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, for you and for the forgiveness of your sins. God fills us with his love, and it overflows in an abundant way as the people of God that he has called us to be. From Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska, this is Proclaiming the One with Pastors Clint Poppy and Adam Moline. Welcome once again to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline, Vicar Daniel Golden, back from vacation. Good to have you back. It is uh, always a privilege to be able to gather each week to take a look at the upcoming readings for our Sunday morning divine service. Today we're going to be looking at the readings for Trinity Sunday, the Holy Trinity. It is a unique Sunday in the church year in that the high festival that we are celebrating is a doctrine. It is a Sunday that is devoted to the mystery of the Holy Trinity. Pastor, I really don't know much uh, history behind the designation of a Sunday for the Holy Trinity. Do you uh, do you know where that comes from in the church? Boy, uh, I'd have to do some uh, look to get the earliest accounts, but we know that at least it was being uh, used as a major milestone even back in the time of Luther and even in the time that our lectionary was written because of the way things were numbered originally, Sundays after uh, the Trinity. And so uh, I, I could quick do some look here, but um, uh, off the top of my head, no, I don't know that history. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure either. I just know it has always been that way. And uh, when you look back, even in the even in the sermons of the early church fathers, the uh, Sundays are designated as Sundays after Trinity. There is a designated Trinity Sunday. The readings uh, have changed maybe just a little bit over the course of time, but we have some standard readings that we'll be looking at. The gospel reading for Trinity Sunday is the uh, wonderful account with Jesus and Nicodemus, John chapter 3, culminating in perhaps the most well-known Bible verse of all, John three sixteen and 17. We have kind of a Trinitarian blessing, um, benediction, encouragement, prayer in Romans 11. That is our epistle reading. And the Old Testament reading is uh, just, a, just an awesome reading from Isaiah chapter 6, where we have Isaiah and uh, the vision of the angels, holy, holy, holy. And so we have a lot of wonderful things to look at and take apart. Just uh, for the people that are listening's sake, we are back. We are back worshiping. We have uh, a few limits and restrictions, but for the most part, we are back in God's house, and we encourage you to come back to church. We've been providing a lot of things uh, online, uh, YouTube, uh, visual services, and uh, while they've they've been a great blessing, and I know many people have been able to hear the word, they are they are no substitute for being in God's house. We uh, we would not think of having a virtual honeymoon. There is uh, something important about the collective gathering of the body of Christ, and we can do that in a safe and sanitary way. So I just encourage the people of God, if you've um, I mean, certainly if you're sick or in a high-risk category, stay home. But uh, other than that, come back and see what, uh, what we've been doing at the church to, to make the gathering together of the saints a uh, safe, God-pleasing experience. Pastor, a couple of comments on that. 
Yeah, uh, it's good to be a part of the body of Christ, and it's difficult to do that over uh, distance, so we would encourage you to come back here and uh, hear God's Word, participate in the life of the church, receive God's gifts as the body of Christ, and uh, uh, no man is an island to himself, especially in the church. Uh, And so it's important to be here, not just for your own sake, but also for the sake of your fellow Christians in their struggles and uh, difficulties in life as well. Amen. 8 and 10.30 on Sunday, 6.30 p.m. Wednesdays uh, year-round, and so please join us. We're on the radio, we're on the internet, we're on YouTube, but we are back in God's house. Thanks be to God. Vicar, the gospel reading, John 3, 1 to 17. Take it away. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, He cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Okay, there we have it. And uh, the pericope for Trinity Sunday is John 3, 1 to 15, and you can also have the additional verses of 16 and 17. I think it's, I think it's important to have those last two verses, uh, John 3, 16 being such a familiar verse, John 3, 17, such an important verse for the context of John 3, 16. And so we have the longer reading here, and here at Good Shepherd, we always try to do the longer readings, if at all possible, and um, uh, that's just uh, more more word, more Bible, and uh, gives us a little more context to what we're talking about. Pastor, um, Trinity Sunday is a Sunday when a lot of pastors preach a sermon, 
and they'll talk about different analogies of the Trinity. The Trinity is like a shamrock. The Trinity is like uh, a, ch- a piece of cherry pie. The Trinity is like H2O, um, ice, water, steam. The Trinity is like a piece of cherry pie where you have the crust on the bottom and the crust on the top and the good red stuff in between. We have all these different analogies that are out there. And I want to ask you a question. Why is it important, even on a Sunday like Trinity Sunday, that we preach the text of God's Word, the actual words of the Bible, rather than devoting our entire sermon or the most part of the sermon to an analogy or a doctrine or any such thing. Um, A little guidance for not only preachers preaching the text, but for what hearers need to be listening for every Sunday morning. Yeah, um, it's important not to use those uh, uh, analogies, Patrick, because they're bad analogies, uh, and they all fall apart into some sort of heresy one way or the other, whether it be modalism or uh, Sabellianism or, uh, you know, Arianism, uh, all these different heresies that uh, flow out of the idea of the proper understanding of the Trinity is, and... um, you can say, well, it helps make it easier for us, and um, maybe it does a little bit to help us to uh, grasp it, but the truth is is that it is ungraspable. Uh, I think uh, in that sense, you have St. Augustine, one of the very smartest men that ever lived, who wrote uh, a thousand pages on the Trinity, and the conclusion of his book is, you just have to believe it the way that it's said in the scriptures because it's impossible to wrap our mind around how there's one God with three persons and that you don't confuse the persons, but you don't divide their substance. It's just beyond comprehension. And so it's important that we just say what scripture says and that we teach the, the uh, confession of the Trinity properly and we don't try and dumb it down. Christianity is not a dumb thing. It's not for fools. It is a very intellectual and... Uh, um, it's important that we confess it rightly. It would almost appear that if we were going to have a Sunday devoted to the Trinity, the gospel reading would be the Trinitarian formula, the words of baptism in Matthew 28, and now we have John 3, 1 to 17, that does not specifically spell out the mystery that you've been talking about one god in three persons three persons in one god so what's what's the point or what's what's behind this particular reading on this particular sunday well in this particular reading we hear jesus uh, who is the second person of the trinity the son uh, talking both about the spirit and also god the father uh and um he talks about them uh, all together and kind of gives an idea of what their jobs are, are and what they do. Uh, and he does so here, whereas maybe in Matthew 28, all we have are the words Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It doesn't get into detail about what that means. And so I think it's good to have a text that teaches us what the words mean so that we can start to 
wrap our minds around the confession in the sense that we were able to confess it rightly rather than just say the words. For example, the Mormons uh, talk about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they have a completely wrong view of the Trinity. That's why they're not Christian. And so just saying the words without the proper understanding of what the words mean doesn't actually mean a good confession of the Trinity. The uh, Trinity at work is kind of a way that I've looked at these words from John 3, 1 to 17. We see the, the, uh, not only the person, but the actions and the working, how the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit work, work together, and work for us. Why is that uh, really more important than trying to unravel this mystery of the Holy Trinity that you basically said is <clears throat> unravelable? Well, uh, if we understand, and I think this is, uh, you know, we're Lutherans, so we can say this, this is really well articulated in our small catechism in the section on the Apostles' Creed, where we're able to say these are the things that God is doing, and yet there is still only one God, even uh, as God the Father works primarily in bringing about creation and sustaining it uh, and sending the Son. Uh, the Son works uh, in redemption, um, and the Holy Spirit works in sanctification or calling, gathering, and enlightening the entire church. And so it's a laid out for us very clearly what these different parts of the Trinity do as their jobs, and uh, texts like this help us to see that what we confess in the Catechism is correct and true uh, and a good explanation of Scripture. It's also the Sunday in the church here when many, many Christian congregations will be confessing the Athanasian Creed. So if you want a bold confession about the mystery of the Trinity, look to the Athanasian Creed. If you want to see the Trinity at work, this text before us is a perfect place to go. John 3, 1 to 17. We're going to dig into the specifics of that text when we come back. We need to take a short break. This is Proclaiming the One. Don't change that dial. You are listening to KNNA. LP 95.7 FM Lincoln, Nebraska. We all believe in one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, ever present help in need, praise by all the heavenly host. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Golden. We're looking at the readings for Trinity Sunday, the Holy Trinity. We're looking specifically at the Gospel reading, John 3, 1 to 17. If you would like a little bit more detail about the doctrine of the Holy Trinity, the specifics of the Athanasian Creed, I encourage you to check out our sister program on At Home in Your Hymnal, the most recent episode, I believe, episode 36, uh, don't quote me on that, but I believe that's episode 36, is devoted entirely to the Athanasian Creed. Uh, Pastor, as we uh, as we look at this gospel reading from John three, Vicar, do you have your uh, Bible open to John two? I sure do. Would you read um, 
these uh, ver- the last three verses of John chapter two. John chapter two is pretty uh, pretty famous. At the beginning of the chapter, we have. Uh, Jesus' first miracle, his first sign, changing water into wine at the wedding at Cana. And then right after that, we have Jesus cleansing the temple. Not quite as well known are the verses John 2, 23 through 25. Now when, 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 now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people, and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Pastor, um, these words always kind of almost catch me off guard, because they, they are the three verses before John 3, the uh, very, very famous chapter, and this emphasizes what we've talked about many times with regard to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is kind of written in a way that the signs of Jesus are highlighted. And so the, the signs of Jesus are, are a big deal in the Gospel of John. But then in verse 24, uh, you know, people believed because they saw the signs. And then in verse 24, but Jesus on his part did not him entrust himself to them. He didn't entrust himself to the people because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Pastor, can you help sort these words out? What is going on here uh, in these three verses uh, with regard to Jesus not entrusting himself to men, even though these people actually believed in him because of the signs? Well, I think you have to put it into the context of what uh, it's, is going on. Jesus is in Jerusalem for the Passover feast, uh, and he has just cleansed the temple, driving out the people who are the money changers and selling animals to be sacrificed, which is kind of against what uh, God's law says. And so he's doing these things, and yet it's also telling us that it's not his time. It's not the Passover feast where he's going to be crucified and arrested and killed. Christ has not allowed himself to be in their care, and he doesn't... Um, the people says they believed in him because they saw his signs, but what is the belief in yet? It's not the understanding that he is the Christ, the Son of God, who will die and rise from the dead to forgive all sins. It's still just kind of that uh, amazement and wonder at the things that he's doing, and he doesn't return that belief or that faith to them. He doesn't trust them because he knows what's inside every single human person, and that is sin, uh, guilt, wrongdoing, uh, disrespect of God that we all struggle with and suffer with each and every day of our life, and the only solution for that is Jesus. Um, But uh, that's kind of what this is doing, laying the foundation for in this particular gospel. So um, if I was to say the people were amazed at the signs and wonders that Jesus did, and they had a type of faith in Jesus as a miracle worker, but they did not have a full or complete understanding of Jesus as the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and what work he's about to do. And that's what that's what these three verses at the end of John chapter 2 are highlighting. Would that be a fair way to look at it? 
Yes, I think it definitely would, and this is not just uh, here in John's Gospel, it's also in the other Gospels, and uh, nobody really understands, not even the disciples, until the cross and resurrection, and in fact, uh, in the book of Acts, then, when the apostles go out preaching and teaching, they do miracles, but the miracles themselves don't bring people faith, only the Word does, and the work of the Holy Spirit, um, through that Word and through the sacraments, actually creates real, true Christian faith. And to drive the point home again that we've said earlier, this is why you need to be back in church and not just uh, sitting at home flipping through your phone while our services play on YouTube. The uh, the reason why I make such a big deal out of that, I think, the, I think this is important because these three verses at the end of John 2 are setting us up because now we're going to get an example, an example of somebody who is a great knowledgeable uh, religious person and he has a type of faith in Jesus because he knows of the great miracles and signs that he has done but it is an incomplete faith and this whole discourse between Jesus and Nicodemus is not only an example of where Nicodemus's faith had fallen short, but it's an example for each and every one of us who think we know Jesus. But if we don't know Jesus as the Savior who goes to the cross, we don't know Jesus at all. On that day, many will be locked outside the door and banging on it saying, Lord, Lord, we uh, were with you in all these places. And he will say, truly, I never knew you. And that's the sort of thing he's talking about here. Amen. Okay, so finally, now, halfway through part two, um, we uh, get into the text of John 3. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Pastor, what do we know about Nicodemus and about this group, uh, this collective group, the Pharisees, ruler of the Jews? Well, uh, it's interesting in many ways here. First off, uh, Pharisees were kind of a political party within the uh, the faith at that time. They are not so much rulers in Jerusalem. Uh, they're the average Joes who are in the villages, uh, in the synagogues and places like that locally. They are uh, well-educated. In fact, Paul is a Pharisee and uh, um, many other Smart people, even some of whom we have writings from today, like Gamaliel, are Pharisees who are very smart, well-educated people. Yet they live out in the villages and the towns, uh, and they're not necessarily really wealthy um, in that regard. This is opposed to the Sadducees, who rule in Jerusalem, run the temple, and are really the seat of power uh, within the Jewish nation, in a way theologically speaking. And so it's interesting, he's a Pharisee, but it also says a ruler of the Jews, because essentially the Sadducees are normally that way. So this tells us he is at least a respected Pharisee, an important Pharisee uh, in the city of Jerusalem, uh, and probably his being in Jerusalem is an indication of that as well. And we're going to get more Nicodemus at the end of the Gospel of John, uh, because Nicodemus plays a, uh, a big role in the... Uh, um, burial of Jesus. I was going to say the passion, but that it's really post-passion. It's the burial of Jesus. So he we has have, enough authority to go to Pilate and ask for the body of a, a, a criminal, essentially, which normally they wouldn't have given to him. So that's where we're going to see Nicodemus again, and it is assumed that he's close friends with Joseph of Arimathea, uh, at least colleagues, if not close friends. Vicar, it says here that uh, this Nicodemus, uh, this man, came to Jesus <laughs> by night. Um, 
Why do you think Nicodemus went to talk to Jesus at night? Well, to begin with, literally, this is at dark. Um, this is not just like after 6 p.m. in the late afternoon or evening. He came at dark for to hide himself from the scrutiny of his people. He didn't want somebody to be pointing him out and saying, hey, where are you going? You're going to see this Jesus guy? Why are you going to do that? Um, and not only that, there, there may be something else to it. He, he's, uh, he's one of these men that um, Jesus knew what was in his heart, and he was in the dark, and he proves that going forward into verse 4, but he's just hiding himself. Okay, so a, a lot of times we do things under the cover of darkness because we don't want anyone to see. He's probably worried about his reputation. Um, and, uh, you know, if he's, if he's this uh, bigwig Pharisee and uh, the Pharisees are plotting and scheming against Jesus, this puts him in a precarious situation too. You want to add anything to that, Pastor? Yeah, there's not only that. Uh, it's also the theological reason in the sense that John has told us that Jesus is the light of the world and the light shines into the darkness and the darkness has not understood it or overcome it. And, and so in a sense too, John not only is telling us that he's hiding himself and sneaking in, but he's also outside the faith at this point. He's not in the light uh, and doesn't understand it. And I think those two things go together because what's the reason that he's coming at night? He's hiding himself. And what does that tell us that his fear is in? And when we determine what his fear, what he's afraid of, that tells us who his God is. That's an important uh, thing out of the first commandment we can come up with as well. Yes. And, you know, Vicar alluded to that, but you know, you, you brought that out even more. There is this big thing of light and dark that is going back and forth throughout the gospel of John. And as you, you know, we, we tend to read uh, the scriptures in just little snippets and little chunks, larger pieces in church on Sunday morning, we call them pericopes. But um, when we read large pieces of the Bible in context, sometimes things are connected that we hadn't seen before. This is the Holy Spirit at work. And one of these things, as you read through the Gospel of John, you will see this light and darkness thing going back and forth and back and forth. Um, and it is it is amazing that, um, well, Christians need to read their Bibles more. That's, that's the best way that I can say it. And then many of these things will be brought to light by God the Holy Spirit that we didn't particularly need before. And I guess this is one of the reasons why your pastors are trained to uh, highlight some of these things in sermons. That's why you pay us the big bucks. There you go. Okay. So uh, Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. He's in the dark. And then he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. We got about a minute left in this segment, Pastor. The, the statement that Nicodemus makes, he's, he's trying to be very complimentary of Jesus. He calls him rabbi. He acknowledges the signs. What is good and what is bad with regard to this uh, so-called confession or statement that Nicodemus makes? Well, he's, he's right uh, in the sense he's trying to fit Jesus into what he understands and knows from his scriptural study in Old Testament. And so he's, he's seeing Jesus as a man, just a man, and perhaps a man whom God is working through, like Elijah or Moses or Joshua from the Old Testament times, rather than understanding the whole 
business of who Jesus is, which is actually God in the flesh. He doesn't understand the completeness and the totality of it. Uh, and you can see that in the way that he talks about how you came from God. Um, and uh, in other words, God sent you, but you're not actually God in himself. Um, and God is working with you, but it's not an acknowledgement that he is God in the flesh. Okay, so he knows that Jesus is special, but he is very, very far short in making a confession that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior, God in the flesh. And maybe he wonders about that. He just isn't willing to jump off that branch yet. Yeah, maybe he wants Jesus to say it. How Jesus responds to this question uh, probably knocked Nicodemus's socks, or if he wasn't wearing socks, sandals off. We'll get to that when we come back from our break. This is Proclaiming the One. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. <laughs> You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Golden. We are privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Come join us for worship Sunday morning, 8 and 10.30, Wednesdays, 6.30 p.m. We are open for business. Come and uh, receive God's gifts in person. 3825 Wildbriar Lane. Every one of our worship services is broadcast on KNNALP 95.7 right here in Lincoln, Nebraska. You can also listen on our radio website, thecross957.org. Our church website will direct you to all the various other links, including our YouTube page, goodshepherdlincoln.org. We'd love your feedback, and we pray that God would bless you not only on Trinity Sunday, but each and every time you hear God's word. We're continuing our look. Uh, we don't we don't often take more than uh, two segments to look at our gospel reading, but there's just so much here. We want to continue our look at John chapter 3. Nicodemus is in the dark, figuratively and literally. He uh, comes to Jesus, he gives a compliment to Jesus, in a sense, kind of a confession of who he believes Jesus is, and Jesus responds, John 3, verse 3, in uh, kind of an unusual way. He doesn't really, I mean, Nicodemus doesn't really ask a question, but Nicodemus is kind of, in a sense, saying, um, this is who I think you are, Jesus. And then he kind of leaves it hanging. And Jesus responds in a very, very unique way in John 3, verse 3. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Pastor, why does Jesus respond in this particular way to the incomplete confession of faith of Nicodemus? Well, it's like we said earlier, a person um, doesn't, become a Christian just by witnessing a miracle, but rather they need to receive the means of grace in which uh, the Word of God is part of it, and that's Jesus obviously is teaching and preaching, and that is the Word of God, but also the sacraments of the Lord's Supper and baptism, and this is a reference here to baptism. And just to be clear on it, too, the translation born again is not 
quite complete. The word in the Greek is anothen, which means from above. The idea that you're born from above, from the work of God and what he's doing in the waters of holy baptism is where we're going to be driven. This born again sort of language is more of a modern American sort of twist on things to indicate true believers versus not true believers. And that's not quite the right way to go about it either, even though that's part of what this text is dealing with, as we said in the last segment. I'm glad you brought it up that way, Pastor, because uh, this is this is something that we need to deal with head on because uh, there, there are many well-intended uh, evangelical or Reformed Christians, some even uh, Lutheran, that, uh, that have turned this born-again language into some kind of a decision theology thing, what I have done for God, I gave my heart to Jesus, I made a decision for the Lord, um, I saved myself, in a sense, and I prayed the sinner's prayer because I watched Franklin Graham uh, commercial on uh, news the other night, that kind of a thing. And uh, Lutherans do not need to be afraid of this born-again talk, this born-again imagery, and it's because of John chapter 3, right here. Jesus gives us this full explanation. So Jesus introduces this born-again, born-from-above language. Uh, he, uh, he says, unless one is born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So then Nicodemus, uh, he's completely in the dark. He's completely clueless. Nicodemus says to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Um, Nicodemus is spouting foolishness. Makes me think of uh, Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration. Ooh, ooh, let's build some tents and we can stay here forever, kind of a thing. And so Jesus clarifies, he answers in verse 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And then in verse 6, he goes on further to explain, Pastor, how is Jesus clarifying that when he is talking about being born again, born from above, he is talking about holy baptism with these words here in John 3, verse 5. Well, I mean, first off, he mentions water, right? And not only that, but he also connects water to the Spirit. And we know from elsewhere in Scripture uh, where it's very clearly put forward that the Holy Spirit is always, always, always attached to God's Word. He doesn't just float around um, and... uh, you know, strike people with lightning or things like that. He's attached to God's means, the Word and the sacraments. So when we have water and the Spirit together, we understand that to be baptism. And in a sense, Jesus is reciting Luther's small catechism to him and saying it's not just plain water, but it's the Word of God in with the water that does these things. And so it's kind of neat in that regard. And uh, just in case Nicodemus is still in the dark, uh, Jesus gives uh, brilliant catechetical instruction when Nicodemus uh, first responded to Jesus, he was talking about you know somehow entering into his mother's womb and being born again that way um, to be born of the flesh. And so then Jesus continues and he says, "That which of born is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit." That's John three verse six. And then Jesus goes on, "Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again." The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, and you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Okay, Pastor, what is Jesus teaching, 
And especially in light of those verses that I had us look to in John chapter 2, when Jesus, in John, uh, uh, in John chapter 2, when it says, um, Jesus, uh, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Can we connect that to this flesh is born of flesh, that which is born of spirit is born of spirit? We can in a, in a careful way uh, with modern, um, I guess not even modern, but ancient uh, uh, heresies where uh, we have the idea that the flesh is evil and the spirit is good. We don't want to go that route. But what we can talk about is faith, and that's what he's talking about here specifically. And even It's, it's as simple as that, isn't it? Yeah. It's as simple as that. We don't need to get into this Gnostic nonsense uh, that sometimes people want to overlay on top of the gospel and epistles of John. Nothing like that at all. It's as yeah. simple as faith. Keep going. And in fact, that's what John is writing again and recording against is that idea of Gnosticism. So uh, we have here, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from. Uh, in other words, the wind has its own personality. And in the Greek, the word for wind here is pneuma, which is also the word used for spirit. And so I think, again, here's a place not to put doubt in your Bible or anything like that, but uh, a particular theological bent uh, creates the translation that we have here. And when we understand that this spirit uh, blows where it wishes and the spirit does what it wishes, we understand again how people are saved, not by their own works or uh, actions, not by inviting Christ into their hearts, but rather uh, the Holy Spirit calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the entire church on earth. And so again, Jesus is teaching the small catechism here to Nicodemus, now doing the third article of the Creed and teaching that very clearly. Can we, you know, last week with uh, our Pentecost reading from Acts chapter 2, uh, the miraculous outpouring of the Holy Spirit, there was the sound like a great rushing wind. Can we connect the wind here in, uh, out of Jesus' mouth in John chapter 3 with the sound of the wind, with the accompanying uh, of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2? I think so, and we could even make the connection to the um, Old Testament when Elijah's in the cave and the uh, wind blows by. But I think even more important is the part you hear where it when it comes and where it's going. And that's the way the Spirit comes to us. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, uh, Paul writes in the book of Romans. And, and that's the key here. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is connected to the Word. And the way that you come to the faith is by hearing, preaching, and teaching, specifically about Christ's life, death, and resurrection. And that's what Jesus is teaching here again. That's how you're saved, not by inviting the Spirit into your heart, or Christ into your heart, or committing yourself to him or being born again uh, as it's mistranslated into it is completely and totally by the work of God the Holy Spirit that we're converted that is uh, that is brilliant pastor that pulling out that word here and faith comes by hearing and to make that connection I think that really makes it clear everything that we're talking about how it's as simple as faith you either have faith or you don't have faith and you cannot have faith apart from the Holy Spirit that's where I want to go with this next question uh, Vicar Nic <laughs> Nicodemus said to Jesus how can these things be uh, I thought Nicodemus was a learned man and throughout this text you have to come to the conclusion that he's a giant doofus. Um, 
Why is Nicodemus so clueless, or to use the words of our text, so in the dark at this particular point? Yeah, it's the great Luther question, too. Luther quoted here, what does this mean? Um, But quite more literally, this question should be translated, how are these things able to be born? This is the same word that's been used over and over in this text already. He just doesn't get how the born again works. And uh, apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, no one can believe. No one can call Jesus as Lord except from the work of the Holy Spirit. I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to him. So uh, Nicodemus is the object lesson of the fact it doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter how many religious degrees you have. It doesn't matter how politically important you are. Apart from the work of the Holy Spirit and truly hearing the word of God, you cannot believe. The gospel is a locked gift. You can't have it. It's not yours. Uh, Pastor, uh, following this, uh, Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Nicodemus is there. He wants to have this conversation with Jesus. Um, Is he just being like, Nicodemus just being like really stubborn or um, obtuse? Um, What's happening? Well, maybe he is. Um, I think this is the reality for every Christian, uh, for every person. And, you know, it's easy to put Nicodemus down and say he's a doofus. But the truth is, this is all of us, right? It is so difficult to comprehend that God has saved us through the work of Jesus Christ. This is why um, so many people struggle to believe, is because it just seems so extraordinary. Um, And even, uh, I think this is key here, let me make sure I say it the right way. Um, He says, we bear witness to what we have seen. In other words, we preach what we know, uh, and that's what I'm doing to you. And in fact, when he says we there, I think he's communicating that when I give you my word, when I'm telling you these things, the Holy Spirit is working in that. It's not just Christ alone. It's the Holy Spirit working in the word as well. And his ears are hardened to that message. His heart is hardened to that message. And it won't He might sort of get it, but he doesn't completely get it until after the crucifixion and the resurrection, because it's that message and that realization of the the resurrection of Christ that really is the bedrock of our understanding of the faith. All right. uh, Well said. And we're going to finish up John chapter 3 when we come back from our break. This is Proclaiming the One. Don't go away. Welcome back to Proclaiming One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Golden. We're looking at the readings for Trinity Sunday, and, uh, you know, 
once or twice a year we do this, but this is such a significant reading. We are devoting all four parts of this particular episode to our gospel reading, John 3, 1 to 17. We have this famous encounter late at night. Nicodemus figuratively and literally is in the dark. He comes to Jesus. He pays him a compliment. Jesus immediately starts teaching. Uh, you cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you are born from above. Most translations would say born again. Uh, Nicodemus can't get it because uh, he doesn't want to hear it. And Jesus continues to teach and teach and teach and teach. And Nicodemus is still uh, somewhat clueless. In verse 12 of John chapter 3, Jesus says, If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe... How can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Again, highlighting the fact that apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, no one can believe. does not matter how smart you are, how uh, in touch with yourself you are, how many uh, initials you have before or after your name. Faith comes by hearing, and this is the work of the Holy Spirit. And now I think a uh, significant verse in this text, not that they're all uh, not significant, but uh, significant in this conversation is verse 13. Jesus says, no one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Now, when I hear that, Pastor, I immediately think of the incarnation. Um, am, I, am I off base? Am I connecting the dots correctly here? Um, is this where Jesus is gently but directly taking Nicodemus and, by extension, all of us? Yes, uh, so long as we don't separate the incarnation from the cross, and I think that's where Jesus is going to go. And so Christmas and Easter are connected, uh, and Christ is going to teach that very clearly. And the idea here is what he's saying is, you're not going to get yourself up into heaven intellectually. Uh, it's not some sort of Platonism where if you understand things rightly, then you'll ascend to a higher level or Buddhism or uh, anything like that. The only way you can know about heaven is if Christ comes down, takes on our human flesh, suffers, bleeds, and dies and rises from the dead, and then takes you with him up into heaven. And that's exactly what he's done, which is good news for us. So when we see in any place in Scripture— <clears throat> including right here in John chapter 3, where Jesus is talking about the Son of Man descending from heaven. That's a reference to the incarnation. Yes. Okay, just want to make that blunt and plain and clear. Now, in verse 14, we have uh, Jesus is kind of like saying, you know, hey, you're a great teacher, Nicodemus. You, you know the scriptures well. And so he is going to, with his power and his authority, words that are filled with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, he is going to teach him basically a Sunday school lesson, a lesson that Nicodemus himself probably taught hundreds of times before. A sermon. A sermon. There you go. And he is going to, he is going to connect the dots for him to show him that this Old Testament account that he knows very well is really all about Jesus. Vicar, do you want to read uh, verse 14 and 15 of John chapter 3? And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, 
that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, we had that reading from Numbers chapter 21 uh, just a couple of weeks ago. It's one of the uh, one of the Sundays in Easter. And so, uh, Pastor, um, how is this account of Moses and the bronze serpent, Moses uh, 21, 4 to 7, how is that setting the stage for the most famous Bible passage in the history of Bible passages? Well, um He's he's using an Old Testament example, and he's taking what happened, and he's putting himself into it and showing how he's the completion and fulfillment of that. And the way he's doing it in this particular text is, Moses, uh, there's people being attacked by serpents, and they're dying, and God tells Moses to take a, a bronze serpent, nail it to a pole, and hold it up in the air. And all who look at that serpent, then, according to God's word, not to to make it their own action. According to God's word, when they look at that serpent, uh, they are rescued from the fiery serpent. And now Christ is going to say, look, God is going to do the same thing for you, except instead of a bronze serpent, he's going to nail me up onto a pole and hold me up, and all who look to me will be saved from the attacks of Satan in this world and the sin of this world and be brought to eternal life through the action of my death and resurrection. And so he's taking that Old Testament thing and he's finding its fulfillment in Christ, and that's what we do with the Old Testament. It actually all teaches us about Jesus. So, Vicar, when the children of Israel were bitten by the snakes and they looked at the bronze serpent on the pole, it was their work and their action of being obedient to God's command and looking at the pole that saved them, right? Absolutely not. This is the glory of God revealed as this Pharisee Nicodemus can understand it. He understands it says glory because... What happens at that time? What is the work of God? People are forgiven. Their lives are redeemed. Peace is given to them. Mercy is had upon them from the only source being God. And then, of course, Jesus compares to that same type of glory that will be with, will be with him. So, Pastor, was that bronze serpent on a pole some kind of magic that uh, some... Uh, uh, some spiritual hocus-pocus going on here? What was it that made this bronze serpent on the pole powerful enough to save and heal? Well, it's not just plain uh, bronze serpent. It's the Word of God in and with the bronze serpent that does these wonderful things, and I guess that's the way that I'd say it very carefully. It is sacramental in the way that it works. God's Word is what does the saving as it is attached to the promise uh, of looking at that bronze serpent. And it's not that, you know, if we could find it, we could all look at it and we'd be saved that way. That, again, be putting the work onto us. God has given us the same gifts now attached to water and to bread and wine, and uh, that's the way we're saved through hearing the word. Thank you for bearing with me. I was uh, trying to illustrate absurdity by being absurd, and you guys did a brilliant job, both of you, as far as bringing out the fact that the only reason this bronze serpent had any power was because the word of God was attached to it. The promise of God is attached to it. And in the same way, now Jesus is going to teach us about himself. Verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Vicar, uh, why is this passage, in your opinion, so so beloved by so many people? Well, I think it's what we teach, uh, like what we teach our kids in catechism class. What do you need to go to heaven to believe that Jesus died for my sins? It really comes down to being that simple. 
and we have to be, to be careful with that too, that when we say that, we don't leave it there and we make sure we say that the way you believe is not your own action and not your own. Yeah, it, yeah. it always really bothered me when I was a kid, you know, well, that's really great. All who believe uh, will not be condemned, but uh, how do I make myself believe? And the answer to that question is where the real gospel nugget is. We don't. And uh, that's highlighted throughout this entire text. Also, we don't want to fall into the trap of gospel reductionism and and that John 3.16 is the only passage of Scripture that matters and the rest of the Holy Scriptures are important or irrelevant for us. Um, God God loved the world, so God the Father's love prompts him to send Jesus pure gift that whoever believes in him were saved by grace through faith should not perish, but have eternal life. And now, John 3.17, I think, is a very significant Bible passage that is completely forgotten because John 3.16 is so beloved. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Pastor, how do some people mix up the gift of Jesus and transfer this uh, and make the gift of Jesus a bad thing that uh, Christians are only about preaching condemnation. Or if God wouldn't have sent Jesus, then no one would go to hell. How does this thing get so twisted and contorted out of shape um, by the work of Satan, I guess? It's almost like we're sinful people uh, and that we yeah, almost. try to bring our own understandings and logical conclusions to these things. And even, uh, I think, to be critical with just a little time left in the thing, sometimes we are uh, all about condemnation and not about preaching the gospel. Um, and that that's our sinful nature at work. We need to make sure we do give the condemnations that God gives. We need to make sure we also give the gospel that God gives, and we can't overemphasize one over the other as we oftentimes are bound to do. And that's a proper distinction between law and gospel. That's what separates true Lutherans from fake Lutherans. Uh, It is clearly spelled out in the confessions of the Lutheran Church. It is one of the uh, major, major teachings of Lutheranism that Scripture uh, is often misread or distorted when there is no proper distinction between law and gospel. When we try to make the law or obedience to the law save us, or we try to turn the gospel into some kind of a new law or new obedience. The gift of Jesus is pure gift. And on this Trinity Sunday, we rejoice in the mystery of the Trinity. The Father sends the Son to be the Savior of the world. The Son is completely obedient to the will of the Father. The Father and the Son send the Spirit to point us continually to the work of Jesus Christ, salvation full and free. Thanks be to God. Vicar, would you want to uh, bring things to a close here today by praying the collect of the day for Trinity Sunday? Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, You have given us grace to acknowledge the glory of the eternal Trinity by the confession of a true faith, and to worship the unity and the power of the divine majesty. Keep us steadfast in this faith, and defend us from all adversities. For you, O Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, live and reign, one God, now and forever. Amen.
Amen. For Pastor Moline and Vicar Golden, I am Pastor Clint Poppy. Thank you for tuning in today to Proclaiming the One. And uh, just a gentle reminder, we are back open. We're open for business and uh, come and join us for worship. And for all of our listeners, when you get up on Sunday morning, drink your coffee, read your paper, pray for your pastors, Pray for an end to this pandemic and the fear that it has brought among so many people. And most of all, go to church. God's richest blessings in the name of the Holy Trinity.